This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Rescue teams continued to hunt for survivors from large earthquakes that struck southern Turkey and Syria on Monday. The quakes have already left at least 5,000 people dead. That number looks certain to rise as temperatures dropped below freezing overnight. The World Health Organization suggested that fatalities could reach 20,000. The initial quake's epicenter was near the Turkish city of Gaziantep and had a magnitude of 7.8, the strongest in the region since one near Istanbul in 1999 killed over 17,000 people. A series of aftershocks followed. Russia is gathering reinforcements and equipment ahead of a new offensive in eastern Ukraine, according to the governor of the Luhansk region. Ukraine has long warned that a new Russian offensive is in the offing, but Britain's defence ministry said that Russia had probably already tried to launch its offensive, but lacked the munitions and manoeuvre units for success. The Pentagon said it had failed to detect previous Chinese surveillance balloons in American airspace, discovering them only later through additional means of intelligence collection. General Glenn Van Herc called it an awareness gap that we have to figure out. At least four other intrusions had occurred in recent years before last months. America said it would not return the debris from the destroyed balloon to China. Alphabet, the parent company of Google, unveiled Bard, a chatbot powered by artificial intelligence. It will rival ChatGPT from OpenAI, a popular Microsoft-backed venture that generates text, images and video that seem as though they are created by humans. Various firms plan to add similar technology, including Baidu, a Chinese search giant. Bard will be tested on some users before a full launch in the coming weeks. The share price of some Adani Group companies rose on Tuesday, after suffering another miserable day on Monday. The value of the Indian conglomerate has now fallen by more than $100 billion in two weeks. The sell-off started after Hindenburg Research, an American short seller, made allegations of fraud. Hundreds of protesters took to the streets in Delhi and other Indian cities on Monday, amid growing calls to investigate the allegations. The UN warned that about 1 million Tibetan children have been sent to Chinese boarding schools, seemingly under a government policy to assimilate them into majority Han culture. Instruction is only in Mandarin, making it difficult for Tibetan children to communicate with their family in their native language and contributing to the erosion of their identity, said three UN special rapporteurs. A British digital pound could be launched in the next decade according to the Treasury and the Bank of England. It would provide a state-backed alternative to potentially volatile digital currencies issued by private companies. Britain's Chancellor Jeremy Hunt said the digital pound would offer a trusted and accessible payment method. Consultation on the idea begins on Tuesday, but a final decision will not be taken until around 2025. Correction In Sunday's edition, we incorrectly wrote that Juba is the capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo. In fact, that is Kinshasa. Sorry. And fact of the day. 
2.2%. The contraction of Russia's GDP last year, which defied many economists' expectations of an annual decline of 10% or more. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Poor construction makes earthquakes more deadly. The huge earthquakes that struck southern Turkey and northern Syria on Monday killed more than 2,300 people. They were the strongest in the region since one near Istanbul in 1999 that killed over 17,000 people. That disaster and botched search-and-rescue efforts exposed a deeply flawed urban development model, corrupt building practices, and lack of preparedness in Turkey. Some problems persist. Under Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, in power since 2003, disaster response has improved. Over three million housing units have been renovated and strengthened. Yet apartment blocks built on the cheap or in defiance of building codes continue to crowd Turkish cities and towns. An amnesty on unregistered construction work passed by Mr. Erdogan's government in 2018 and which has had nine million applications has not helped. It risked turning Turkish cities into, quote, graveyards in an earthquake, Simal Gukcha, the chairman of the Chamber of Civil Engineers, said a year later. His words may have proved prescient. Biden's State of the Union President Joe Biden will deliver the annual State of the Union address to Congress on Tuesday. With Republicans in control of the House of Representatives, Mr. Biden's window for passing big-ticket legislation has closed. So instead of laying out a bold agenda, his speech will trumpet his policy wins to date. In preparation for a re-election bid next year, expected to be announced soon, the president will probably remind Americans of his job creation efforts and major infrastructure and climate bills. Foreign policy will no doubt also feature prominently. Concerns about China are fresh in American minds after the shooting down of a Chinese balloon that was detected flying over sensitive military sites, and support for Ukraine remains high on the agenda ahead of the anniversary of Russia's invasion on February 24th. Still, Mr. Biden will know that some will scrutinize the delivery of his speech as much as its substance. His age, 80, remains a major concern for voters looking to 2024. How is big oil spending its profit bonanza? The coffers of big oil companies are overflowing. So far this year, Shell unveiled net profits for 2022 of nearly 40 billion dollars. During the same period, Exxon Mobil made a record net profit of 55.7 billion dollars, and Chevron's doubled. BP will add to the haul on Tuesday, and Total Energies will do so on Wednesday. In total, the five oil supermajors may have raked in around 200 billion dollars in profits. Some of this bounty will flow back to the shareholders, but a wedge will be invested. Where and how that money is spent is changing. Bosses need energy that is faster to market, less risky to develop, cleaner to produce, and closer to home. Having been forced to abandon their assets in Russia after the invasion of Ukraine, some are diverting investments to the Americas, a region with relatively low risk and low cost reserves. Oil companies are also responding to pressure from activists and policymakers to decarbonize their portfolios. BP, for instance, vows to spend 40% of its capital expenditure budget on low-carbon projects by 2025. Australia's next interest rate rise. Battling rising prices, Australian central bankers have raised interest rates eight times since May. Their fight is not yet over. 
inflation has been slower to ease down under than in Europe and America. In December, it hit an annual rate of 7.8 percent, the highest since 1990. The Reserve Bank of Australia is expected to respond by bumping up interest rates by another 0.25 percentage points on Tuesday to 3.35 percent. But it may then be forced to change tack. Australia has some of the world's most indebted households, and the hikes are starting to hurt. If the bank raises rates as expected, it will cost Aussies almost one thousand Australian dollars, or six hundred and ninety-two dollars more per month, to service a five hundred thousand Australian dollar mortgage than it did last April, according to AMP, an Australian bank. Since then, house prices have plunged by almost nine percent, and more will suffer this year as their fixed-rate loans end. To avoid a recession, monetary policymakers may soon have to pull their punches. A landmark art show in the Gulf. The Sharjah Biennial in the United Arab Emirates opens on Tuesday to mark 30 years since the event's founding. The contemporary art exhibition has always punched above its weight thanks to the ambition of Sharjah's ruling family, who are keen curators and collectors. Still, this year's iteration is hotly anticipated and poignant. Its focus was conceived by Akwi Enwezor, pictured, a Nigerian curator who died of cancer in 2019. During his lifetime, Mr. Enwezor did more than almost any other curator to shape the way the contemporary art world thinks about history and colonialism. Those themes underpin the show, which is titled "Thinking Historically in the Present" and curated by Hour Al Kasimi, director of the Sharjah Art Foundation. In five towns across the Emirate, the event will display new work by an array of artists. They include Wangechi Muchu, a Kenyan-American painter and sculptor; Steve McQueen, a British filmmaker; Philippe Parino, a French conceptual artist; and Sir John Acomfra, a Ghanaian-born British artist and director. For lovers of contemporary art, it promises to be worth a trip. Daily quiz. Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 hours GMT on Friday to quizespresso@economist.com. Please note the way we choose winners has changed. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown three winners on Saturday. Tuesday. Which 1952 western stars Gary Cooper as a marshal who must face a gang of killers on his own? Monday, which band, which had their greatest success in the 1980s, had hits with "Something About You" and "Lessons in Love"? Finally, here's the quote of the day from Eric Temple Bell, who was born on this day in 1883. Science makes no pretension to eternal truth or absolute truth. That's the world in brief from the Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to the Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download the Economist app to start listening. <laughs>